Totally Football Show. Bumper edition, probably. England. We ask, are Man City run by the Home Office? Costly European exit, tick. Tearing up records, tick. Sending visitors home unhappy to Carew. With them now champions anyway, there is sweet FA left to play for, literally, this weekend, as the Cup takes centre stage. Man United against Spurs, Chelsea and Southampton at Wembley. A broad City at title race roars back to life like that woman in the bath in Les Diaboliques. Four points now between Napoli and Juventus and they meet on Sunday. We'll talk about that. Best 11s of non-Big Six sides. We say take a bow, the brow, salute the Bundesliga's latest innovation and more in this Totally Football show. Oi, oi, listeners. Thanks for joining us on an especially sunny Thursday morning in central London, Jazz FM, home of the Totally Football Show. With us here, Bath Times' David Priest. Good morning, James. You're looking all fluffy and, and, and freshly scrubbed. Uh, am I? Oh. Yeah. Listeners should know he's fully dressed. Yes. Yeah. 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 Ben was trying to get me in, in my speedos today, but I resisted. Yeah. Always resist, David. Always resist. We've got a rare appearance from James Horncastle, who you just heard. How do? Uh, also here. Yeah, hi, hi. Uh, also here, Tom Williams, author of Do You Speak Football? A glossary of football words and phrases from around the world, which is published, Tom, when? Hello, James. May the 3rd. May the 3rd. So, soon. Imminent. Wow. All right. Last time you were in, you gave some really choice bits of, of, of footballing, kind of, of the, of the global football lexicon. I did, yes. I wonder if you'll treat us again later. Perhaps I will. Perhaps what I country will. might we be visiting? We might be visiting India. Ooh. Later on, oh. yes. Appropriately in these sultry temperatures. Brilliant. OK. Oh, also on board, Scott Ely. Come on, Scott. Scott says, I've not listened to any of this week's podcast yet because I'm saving them for a marathon on Sunday. By the time I get to today's, I will have hit a couple of walls. So if you have any inspirational messages or simply James telling me that I have this in that calming tone, that would be great. James? Oh, does he mean me? I believe he does. You've got this. More. You've, You've got, got this. this. Believe in him. Yeah. Is it just a podcast marathon where he's going to listen to oh. lots of podcasts, or is it a genuine marathon? I Either think way, it's it sounds the latter. Grueling. But good luck. Yeah. FA Cup semi-finals. David Priest, Man United taking on Spurs. Woohoo! Both teams were in action this midweek, and I think it's fair to say that Man United looked the better of the two. Well, there was a lot of change in Man United game last night. Um, difficult to see who's going to be playing on Saturday. There was no real. I know he said that. It didn't have anything to do with resting players on for Saturday, and it was all on performances. And mm. I, I don't actually believe a word that he says these days. No, he did. Uh, one thing you must believe that he says quite frequently is how many titles he's won. He was added again yesterday. Yeah, for you youngins, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, not I won us. eight titles. Me, is it the new? There were only two points. Suppose it only won two points when I got here. <laughs> I mean, we're at that level, aren't we? Well, he can't open his mouth without saying it, which is which is quite amusing. He. I like the fact we haven't named him yet. Let's move on then quickly and talk about the other game, which maybe did have something riding on it, given that people were looking at Brighton's fixtures between now and the end of the season, thinking this is a team with their recent record and the teams they're going to be facing that could end up in trouble. But a big point for them at home to Spurs. Tom, did you see this? I did, yeah. yeah. And I thought they were very impressive, Brighton. I thought they were good value for the point. Um, obviously fell behind, uh, but had the... The good fortune and and also the um the 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 nous to to get themselves back into the game immediately and another Serge Aurier 
rush of blood to the head, costing Tottenham, um, considering the penalty that, that Pascal Gross scored. Uh, I think there's a feeling with Brighton. I mean, there's six games without a win in all competitions, but I think we felt for a while that they've got enough behind them to stay up. But you look at the fixtures... Eight points clear, but they'd want another. You'd want another win, you'd think, just to just to make sure. I, I think they'll be fine, but those those fixtures are a bit intimidating. I think it's quite possible looking at the fixture list, which is Burnley away, United at home, City away, Liverpool away. That I think it's quite possible they might pick up no more points. It's, now it's conceivable, yeah. So it is just a race to see. A bit like the starship in Star Wars, you know, will it run out of gas while the people are chasing it? It's that kind of narrative. Yeah, but are Southampton going to win two games to get them above the relegation well, that's line? the thing, isn't it? No, I don't think so. Also, would you have said that Brighton would get a point against Spurs? Well, actually, I might, because I went to see when they played at Wembley and they really frustrated Tottenham that night. So I guess it made sense from but that point I, of view. I suppose in looking at that run-in, mm. where we're looking at teams at the same calibre as Spurs and mm. they've got a point against Spurs. So yeah. And teams that maybe like Spurs on Tuesday mm. that might have their thoughts elsewhere. Exactly. I mean, that City game, it will probably entirely depend on whether City are genuine about chasing these records and uh-huh. being statistically the best ever team that we've seen in the Premier League. If not, then again, that you, you might fancy Brighton to get something out of that game. Pascal Gross, is he the signing of the season? Relatively speaking, I would say so, yeah. Pound for point. Gross margins. Hey. There you go. Six goals and eight assists. From Brighton's 32 goals, oh, which means that only one player has a higher percentage of involvement in his team's goals, and that's of course Mo Salah. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, so there Imagine you go. Imagine if they were on the same team, James. <sighs> wow, that's, I mean play. that's the stuff of, of dreams, isn't it? Really. <laughs> Man United Spurs, are you up for this one, David? I'm more up for them for Chelsea Southampton. Really? Yeah, that's a foregone conclusion. Do you it? think so? Yeah. Because Southampton made a real go of it when they met in the league last weekend, two yeah. 0 up. Yeah, but I mean, and that's going to scar that though. Really? Given two goals up, don't you think that, especially after the way that it turned out and that whole Marcus Alonso business, Southampton will be really fired up to to win this and and, and continue their chances of doing a Wigan. Well, they've the not Martinez uh, double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've not been fired up all season, so I don't know why it's going to change on Saturday or Sunday. Sorry. No, Marcus Alonso. I presume he didn't appeal. I think he had until was it Wednesday evening to to lodge any kind of uh, appeal if he wanted to, but he banged to rights there. Yeah, it was a bit of a nasty one. Very um, nasty one. Yeah, and it ended a bit a bit sly as well. But there's that, and also I suppose what's going on with Antonio Rudiger as well, because yeah, he seems to have fallen out of favour, partly because he's questioned Conte's tactics, or at least Conte believes um, that he did, and uh, he wasn't in the side. So will he be back for this? You know, is this another case of Conte just basically saying, you know, Diego Costa, David Luiz, do not cross me, um, because you know that might end up costing Chelsea. Yeah, three two last weekend. I mentioned last time they met in the FA Cup, it was five one to Chelsea. Tom, are you prepared to argue there's a, a, a nugget of drama in this game? I mean, I, I think Tom has just grimaced at the thought. <laughs> Quite literally, the difficulty for Southampton is they played so well against Chelsea last weekend, which would have felt like a great dress rehearsal, and then let three goals in at the end. Yeah. Um, I wonder whether Chelsea might start with Olivier Giroud now, now that he's he's proved how effective he can be against Southampton. Um, personally, think he's a better foil for players like Hazard and Willian, who need a centre forward who sort of gives them, you know, helps them to establish uh, a presence in the opposition penalty area with his layoffs and his one-twos and everything else, rather than someone like Morata, who mm-hmm. spends more time running away from the ball. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Southampton will take heart from the fact that they played so well to begin with against Chelsea. Um, 
But Chelsea's league form has been so strange. I mean, their form in general has been so strange since the turn of the year. We know this is the last thing that they have to play for this season. So you'd expect that they're they're going to be fully motivated. So yeah, it, it's hard to see. It's hard to see much uh, reason for optimism for Southampton. I think it, do, it doesn't make a difference whether it's Morata or Azurudu uh, playing up front. If Chelsea get crosses in, into the box, they just can't defend them. I mean, they, I mean, I could have stopped after they can't defend, but they they really can't specifically def- on crosses. Yeah, specifically yeah. on crosses. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so Chelsea, strong favourites to go through against Southampton on Sunday. Saturday, who do you see, Tom? Spurs or the Man United? I think it'll be interesting because the last time these two teams met at Wembley in January in Spurs' home league game, United were were very poor. Um, That was a game when Christian Eriksen scored after, what was it, 10 seconds or something. Phil Jones then scored that sensational own goal. The game when Paul Pogba had his touchline row with Jose Mourinho and was hooked um, with about half an hour to play. What's been noticeable in the last few games when Pogba's played a lot better is that Mourinho's now allowing him to play in a midfield three. Okay, he's done that at times throughout the season, but I think what's been really important in Pogba's improved form in the last couple of matches is the fact he's had Ander Herrera alongside him, which just gives him a bit more freedom to get forward. Um, Pogba was really the symbol of that defeat against Spurs. He was playing alongside Matic. There was no one else in that defensive midfield zone. Um, Matic got completely overrun by Son, by Eriksen, by Ali. I expect United will, will be a bit more cautious. Um, and, OK, they're coming off the back of a home defeat against West Bromwich Albion. But you, you put that aside and United's form in games against their main rivals in the last couple of months has been really impressive. So I think it'll be a lot closer than that January game. Quick note on the keepers... Because that's kind of contractual, David. First of all, Vaughan will be in for Loris. Is that actually an upgrade for Spurs? We were talking about him on Monday. And Echo Sonic says, I'd love to hear David's thoughts on Ugu, his form and how a keeper manages those times when they're under pressure. Yeah, he's having a poor season. I think um, I defend them for quite a long time, and once the the errors start uh, adding up and, and totting up, then it's it's difficult to defend. It, it's he's changed the way that he's played since his first come come to to the Premier League. He was uh, he's still a very proactive goalkeeper. So if you're very proactive and you come to get involved in mm. to, in sort of uh, sort of long balls and, and and crosses, then the likelihood is you're going to make more mistakes. Right. I think there's there's doubts crept into his game now. So you you know when you say uh, against Manchester City. The first goal, he's got no right to come for the uh, the first uh, long ball from company. But I think that the fact that they travel so far and that plays on his mind, thinking, could I have come for it? No, I, I don't think he could have. I'm just making that clear because it's straight in uh, Jesus' path. But when the next ball comes in, he comes rushing out. I think that's in his mind. And that's because of the doubts that are in his mind, whether he's making the right decisions or not, because he is making decisions to deal with things, to get involved and they, they turned out to be the wrong ones. Does Spurs need a new keeper or a new keeping coach? Not at all, and I, and I cannot stand anybody saying, and it goes for David De Gea as well, that people saying, oh, Lloris is the most overrated goalkeeper in uh, in the Premier League, when for, how long has he been there? Six, seven years? You know, he's been in phenomenal form, and of course, he, like I said, if he's a proactive goalkeeper and he gets involved in a lot of situations that other keepers wouldn't, he you know, runs a, better, a bigger chance of... But does uh, he need a new goalkeeping coach? No, 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 I don't think so. No, it's um, if we're talking about someone like Joe Hart, I think that's a situation that probably needs to, to happen for him. Um, you know, we've seen him on Monday night against uh, was it against Stoke? You know, making another error and uh, more errors than clean sheets. 
Yeah, and and he's still. I mean, he's, I think Petacek still made more errors than him this season as well. Mm. But it's it's a problem for him. That's um, you know going back to, to goalkeeping coaches. A lot of people would think that uh, Joe Hart's uh, bad form. It started in the in the Euros, you know, the goals against Wales and Iceland, and and then being dropped by Pep. But it goes way before that. You know, his peak years at Manchester City was under Mancini, under uh, Massimo Baratta. Uh, his that was goal, the goalkeeping goal, coach. Goalkeeping so. coach, yeah. And the two of them had a bit of a fractious relationship. They didn't really get on. Uh, but uh, a big po- part of that was because Baratta focused on his weaknesses. And it, every day it was distribution and come for crosses and dealing with high balls. And he didn't like that at all. And so, but it was the best thing for him. That's what he needed. It wasn't what he wanted to do. It's what he needed, and it showed his performances. And ever since then, there's just been a gradual decline. Right. And, and, and we, you know, talking about the doubt with uh, with Larice. You know, once you don't concentrate on your weaknesses and you only focus on your your strengths, once your strengths start winning, and, and something happens with them, the whole game falls apart, and, and your positioning, decision making, everything just goes to goes to pot. All right, looking forward to. Arsenal's clash with West Ham that'll be Pedacek against potentially Joe yeah. Hart wow <laughs> could be fast call you're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsored by Paddy Power the home of the money back special keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more ooh listeners Accrington Stanley who are they? are they from the uh, third tier of English football for the first time ever oh. they just got promotion to League One despite having the second smallest budget in League Two Ceiling promotion with a 2-0 win against Yeovil. Both goals from Billy Key. Top scorer in League 2, as you no doubt know, Tom Williams. The key to their promotion. Too easy. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Here's a stat, sort of, a kind of fact thing. Uh, Manager is John Coleman. He's been with the club off and on. There was a kind of two-and-a-half-year bit where he went off and did... uh, what spells of Rochdale, Southport, and excitingly Sligo Rovers. Anyway, in the period in which he's been at Accrington Stanley, only one season did they not improve on the previous year. Only one season did they not continue their upward climb from the sixth tier to quite literally the third. Anyway, you can hear more of that kind of thing in the Totally Football League show with Ian McIntosh. If you're after some top Italian chat, Tom. Big time. Golazzo, which dropped. Wednesday afternoon is all about the Grand Torino. Il Grande Torino, not the Clint Eastwood film. No. And it sounds a little bit like this. Salvato dal palo sul tiro di Ossola, sentimenti abbattuto da questa ripresa al volo di Loic. Also, Totally Football Quiz, David, is back on Friday. Have you ever played this? I haven't, no. It's too tough for you, is it? <laughs> it is tough, though. I actually, I, I actually did a, um, a GCSE maths exam last night. No way! Yeah, I did, yeah. My girlfriend's son was doing his, some mock exams, so I, I went online and did one, and I got 70%, which is probably more than I got when I was at school. So what would that equate to? Is that like a B or something? or a C would it be? Really? 70%? Well, it, I think it depends which paper you do, whether you're doing the top paper or there's like an intermediate no, uh, paper. There, yeah, there's, there's either foundation or higher did a higher. Right. Yeah. And so I was surprised easy. myself, actually. Mm. Yeah. So this was a GCSE, wasn't it? Yeah. It I got it. an A. At, at, well, for me, it was an O level. I got an A at maths O level. But <laughs> pleasingly, I got an O at maths A level. <laughs> so I kind of <laughs> brought it full circle. I might go online and try one myself. <laughs> that would be a laugh. <laughs> anyway, good, good, but that wasn't an official thing. That was just you trying it to, you know. That's how he his evenings. Empathy yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was, fine. yeah, to see how, uh, how I would do. Okay. Yeah. Did your girlfriend do it as well? No. 
Oh, that would have been great, kind of head-to-head. Yeah, well, I mean, we've, we, this is usually a more exciting household than this, doing GCSE math exam. Well, that does sound pretty thrilling. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if, if that kind of thing excites you, then do join us on Friday at 12.30 British Summertime when Totally Football Quiz will be live with five really tough questions from Opta. Tough but intriguing kind of questions that you will be dying to use on your friends just as soon as the quiz is over. Also, there are prizes. There's a 2016-17 Nuremberg away shirt from classicfootballshirts.co.uk, Panini stickers, boom, and also Scott Murray's new book. Scott's written about the story of the First Division. Facebook.com slash Show. Now... Rest of the Premier League. Monday, all saw a key game at the London Stadium. You mentioned it before, West Ham Stoke. Brilliant from Andy Carroll, who hadn't touched a ball, well, I imagine he had, but in anger, as it were, in four months. Mm. Coming in and that unleashing that wonderful swivelling shot. I am I'm very disappointed in, uh, in Andy Carroll, actually. Oh. I'm very disappointed. Because initially when he was at Newcastle, I, I would have thought he would go on to far, far greater things. Than what he has done. I know injuries have played their part in that mm. as well, but he he was a superb player at Newcastle, and uh, played against him a couple of times when he was at New when in the Championship or okay, to Championship levels to the level below. But he's just a phenomenal target man, and it's not like they played a long ball game at all. But he just simplified his game so much, and was such a, a great focal point to play play through. And he, his his ability with his head, everything was played up with his head. But he, he passed the ball with his head as well as any player with his feet wow. at the time. And um, it, I, I like to see him do well. I like to see him score goals like this because he's, he's uh, it's a, it's a real shame what's happened to his career. I think technically it was a brilliant goal and very uncarolesque. How old is he now, Andy Carroll? Is I mean, is there still time? If he was to resolve the injury thing, or do you think there are other issues? There? Yeah, is perhaps the there's issues? other issues because of his, you know, the, the way that he lives his life. If he moved in with Kevin Nolan, for example, would that? Well, it worked at the time, didn't mm. it? Yeah. I think a fit and firing Andy Carroll. I think you put him in England squad. I think you, if you're going to a, a big tournament, what you want in the striking department is options, alternatives, and Andy Carroll offers something that very few strikers in English football offer and is also the sort of player who you know we've long thought was disappearing from the game is the sort of player who opposition teams get really worried about because he is just this big battering ram striker mm. um and yeah you know a very a very um tidy finish against against Oakley he's got that like he, he does have different types of finishing he isn't just blood and thunder there is there is acuteness to him it's just he you know he just can't stay fit long enough he's 29 Andy Carroll and he was discussing his goal with uh, famous West Ham fan and Cockney wide boy, Danny Dyer. Oh, really? Mm. Let's have a listen, listeners. You didn't realise how much we miss you, to be fair. I mean, uh, what did you think when that ball was coming towards you? I thought it was pretty, not a good ball, to be honest. I thought it was a bit behind me. <laughs> I just told him that. It was, I made a bad one look a good one, to be honest. Uh, he's put it in. Didn't reach the box, so I've had to hesitate my run and get on the end of it. Beautiful feeling, though, to be fair. You know, the crowd just went mental. Why is it so stressful watching West Ham? One of the great episodes of Who Do You Think You Are, uh, where he, he finds he is related to uh, to royalty. Hmm. Um, and if you watch that sped up on YouTube, it is quite something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, super. Can't remember what we were talking about. We were talking about, oh, yeah, West Ham Stoke. That took place on Monday. And Adam Bate pointing out, this is what you were touching on before, 
David, that Joe Hart's now made as many errors leading to goals this season as every other English goalkeeper in the Premier League put together. Yeah, and I was quite surprised this morning reading David Seaman's words, saying that uh, in his eyes, Joe Hart is still the number will still be the number one in the summer. We might see... Spent a long time away from football, am David I right, Seaman. Am I right in thinking that Butland, Forster and Foster would be ahead of Joe Hart in the pecking order for England now? And Pickford. And Pickford. And probably and Seaman. Nick Pope. And probably David Seaman. <laughs> yeah. Right. This, is the, still this is the question when, when people ask him you know, whether he should be, on the, should be in the squad for, for the summer. If the first two choices of Butland and Pickford are, uh, are injured and you're going to your third choice, who would you rather be playing in a, in a big game in the World Cup? Now, I, I know Nick Pope's, you know, he's inexperienced, but he's come off the bat of a brilliant season. Right. Or Joe Hart, who's made quite a few mistakes this year. You know, who would you be more confident in? If you were, even if you were Gareth Southgate and thinking about what's happened before, he's been part of all the qualifying games and, you know, he's got 70 or caps, 80 caps or whatever it is. Who would you, who would you be... I'm asking you now, James. Who would right. you, who well, would you yeah, know? I, I see where you're trying to go with this, but isn't the knock against Nick Pope, and there's a good reason, by the way, that I'm not the person making this decision, <laughs> um, but isn't the, the knock against Nick Pope is that, skilled though he is, his skill set doesn't fit with what Gareth Southgate wants from a keeper, vis-a-vis distribution and stuff. But then again, as I say that, I'm thinking, neither probably would Joe Hart. No. But also, if you think of it going into the latter stages, if we make the latter stages, past the uh, group stage, and you're playing against a, a very good side who are yeah. probably better in possession of the football than us, aren't we going to be playing a deeper, a deeper defensive block, a little bit more like um, what, Burnley? Burnley. Mm. And you're going to be under pressure and you're not going to have the ball as much. Which Nick put, Pope. I'll yeah, yeah. say Nick Pope. Let's bring this to yeah. it. Yeah. Could we take Andy Carroll as our third choice? Go Keeper. <laughs> If Andy Carroll was fit and in form and scoring mm. goals and coming off a consistent few months, I think he's exactly the sort of option that you want in your squad. Right, but based on even if he was to have a string of games between here and the end of the season, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, this is this is not me. I like what I'm you're not saying. banging the Andy Carroll drum. No, or no. If I am, I'm but I like just, what you're saying about you know, an alternative and one that the opposition would find scary. Mm. Because I, I think I've, when when we all. Um, indulge ourselves in the exercise of picking the kind of ideal England squad. I think all the, the time, all the time, constantly. I mean, like I think a mistake people make is just picking the best players in each position, right? And that's not what um, a successful international squad, particularly at a tournament, is about. It's about making sure that if Plan A isn't working, there's a Plan B and a Plan C. Which is why I think there's always room for a striker like Carroll um, in, in a squad, just because he gives you something completely different. I see. Newcastle, however, this Monday will be in action against Everton and they are only one point behind them. Newcastle have won their last four. Everton haven't won in three. So uh, that could be interesting. Everton also have been rocked by the club asking the fans what they think about the manager and that rumour that Big Sam's going to go big shock this at the end of the season. What? Yeah, apparently so. I mean, this is a grudge match for him, isn't it? You know, against Newcastle. Well, that's true. You know, he loves to stick it up teams that have uh, kind of done him wrong in his eyes in the past. In a parallel universe... Everton will be one of those teams in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Undoubtedly. In a parallel universe, uh, he would actually be making those decisions about Andy Carroll and Joe Hart himself right now. We would be heading towards a World Cup with Sam, drawing up his plans for Russia... This is a man who went four games at Everton this season without having, without his side having a single shot on target. Yeah, I mean, Everton are sort of stuck and they have been ever since it became apparent that they weren't about to get sucked into the relegation dogfight. They've got a manager who the fans don't like, who isn't 
helping them to evolve their football in any way. And I think everyone at the club is just sort of waiting for the end of the season. And, you know, you've got the the minor intrigue of this battle for eighth place with, with Leicester, who are above them, and Newcastle, who are underneath them. But, you know, does it make any difference, really? If you're an Everton fan, I think it's different if you're Burnley, say, and you're Newcastle having a historic does, season. Not? Oh, and for Newcastle as well, I think. But if, I think you look at the expectations that Everton had when they went into the season, yeah. the amount of money they spent, wanting to break into the top six. I think they just want to get to the end of the season now, to be honest. Uh, absolutely. Speaking of people jockeying for position, Arsenal-West Ham which we mentioned from the goalkeeping point of view. But all in all, it looks like, you know, there's not much on it, but it could be quite fun, this. Arsenal could be behind Burnley by this point. There could be even four points behind Burnley. Burnley tonight are playing Leicester. Burnley this evening taking on Chelsea, who they beat, of course, start the season at the bridge. And then they've got Stoke before Arsenal take the field against West Ham. Arsenal and West Ham last season... Their clashes brought two wins for the Gunners, 3-0 and 5-1. However, this year it's been tighter. Danny Welbeck scored the winner and a 1-0 win at the Emirates in the League Cup and it was 0-0 at the London Stadium. Mm. Let's have a a little palate cleanser and then return with other tit bits. Listeners, starting up the Totally Football Show was a hairy business. Fortunately, Cornerstone have been with us every step of the way. Why? Because they're in the business of making hairy things smooth, like your face. Cornerstone's award-winning blades will give you the smoothest shave possible. And their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see the range for yourself, get £10 off your first order and have it delivered right to your door. And you'll find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Here's a question from Soccer Never Sleeps. Predictably, the PFA Team of the Year was made up entirely of players from the Big Six minus Arsenal. I'd be interested in hearing who is in your non-Big Six Premier League 11 for the season. So there you go. Now, uh, we've asked Tom, David and James to prepare their lists. Where you go, James? Are we going per position or are we I just... I don't mind. What's quickest? Are we going 4-4-2? Well, you could, you're gone, the manager, you decide. Okay, Just list your players and then we'll... Yeah. Okay, so I went for the V-man, Jamie Vardy, up front. Okay. Has to be. I've then gone for three players behind him in a 4-2-3-1. So I've gone with uh, Wilfred Zaha, no surprises there. Riyad Mahrez, mm-hmm. and because I like him, Richarlison. Okay. Uh, the two Richarlison, behind. sorry, back up. Did you just say Richarlison? Yes. On what basis would he possibly be in your team of the season? Because I just remember the trickery from the first half of the season. Yeah. And that sort of thing. Which... Not your best 11 from September 2017, but for, for the season. Yeah, but uh, it's still, still, there's some moments there which, you know, had Watford not bottled it in the way they did in, after the 90th minute, they would probably be in, in, in seventh or eighth right now. Does that so. choice surprise and bewilder you as much as it does me, Tom, David? A little bit. I mean, Richarlison was very exciting. Mm, without um, scoring very much. In the early weeks of the season, but hasn't really done a, a single thing since. I mean, yeah. I, 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 mean I, I get that he's an exciting player. Mm. Anyway, sorry, James. Gone for two in midfield. One's maybe a little bit... Uh, Leaves that midfield a little bit open. You know, I've got, I had to have Pascal Gross in there. Yeah. Ducouré. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the back, I've gone for Ryan Bertrand, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Mee, Jamal Lascelles. Mm-hmm. And uh, right back is tricky. It's a I've real got, dearth of decent right backs yeah. at the moment. Obviously, I've gone for Pontifex Maximus between the, uh, between the sticks. Nice. In, in the Pope. All right. Um, but where's my right back gone? Don't know. 
probably someone from Watford, is it? I might just put Richarlison okay. in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. David, what about yours? I've had to go for uh, three at the back uh-huh. because I needed to put Nathan Ake in there. Fine, however yeah. you want to set so him up. So I've, I've gone for Dunk, Ake and Tarkovsky, back three. Nice. All Brighton, Holebas, wing-backs. Uh-huh. And then I've got Pascal Gross, Wilfred Ndidi and Dukure, midfield. Nice. And Vardy and Glenn Murray up front. Very nice. Tom? I've gone flat-back four. Bit more, bit more conventional. Uh, Nick Pope in goal. Got Matt Lowton of Burnley at right-back. Mm. Um, scratched around a bit for the fullbacks because I don't think there are that many great fullbacks around this season. Um, Harry Maguire and Alfie Mawson at centre back. I've gone for Charlie Daniels, Bournemouth at left back. I don't watch Bournemouth all that much, but I, I enjoy watching Charlie Daniels, and he does he does bring in the points. And mm. he scored that absolute belter against City. Yes, a um, long time ago, that was so long start ago. Of the season. I mean, still, like you have Richarlison. Hey, come on, he's, he's yeah. built on that. <laughs> I've got Abdullah Ducare holding front of the back four I've uh-huh. then got a four man attacking midfield band Riyad Mahrez on the right Pascal Gross and Jerdan Shakiri in the middle right Good um, Wilfred Zaha on the left uh-huh. and Jamie Vardy up front ok Vardy consensus a plebiscite uh, but one or two other interesting that's thought provoking did you have one James? no I didn't bother making one is there anyone that you look at and think someone's missing in, in that team no, I have the memory of a, of a guppy fish <laughs> Um, but Mm. producer Ben has he's got Pope in goal he's got a back three of Tarkovsky, Lachelles and Mawson Masuaku, interesting Mm. Gross and Milovojevic that's good shout for Palace with Lewis Cook and Zaha rounding out a uh, a talented midfield and then up front Yavadi and Glenn Murray I almost went Masuaku at left back. Did you? Because given this is an alternative PFA 11, Uh I wondered whether him having spat at a fellow player during the season might rule him out on Mm. moral grounds. But I I, I really enjoy watching him, though. No ninth place Everton players either for a team that's quite high up. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Non Significant, you feel. Significant. Mm. Mm. Right. Uh, oh, other things that people have sent. Adam Jones, uh, James, rather, on a related note, says, thinking about the PFA Team of the Year, if each of Europe's top leagues picked their best 11 players, which league would come out on top? I know Spain. it's one of those which... Spain. Because of Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. yeah. Imagine. Yeah. But, you know... Would they pass to each other, I wonder? That's one question. Who take the free kicks? And... You could get at a, a team of, of Liga players, surely, couldn't you? Spain by an absolute mile. Really? Yeah, yeah. By it'd a just mile. A, I mean, it'd just be a joint Madrid-Barcelona team, wouldn't it? With, I mean, who else would you have in from, I don't know, maybe A couple Griezmann of Atleti players, yeah. Godin. Yeah. 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 I mean, would Old Black make it in ahead of the other options? He would, yeah, yeah. potentially, yeah. yeah. Not, not having Griezmann, though. No? No, is it the hair highlights or no, that? No, I like uh, the hair. It's the inconsistency. Or his fancy dress. It's a celebration. That's what gets to me. Is that? Yeah, I don't know why it irks me so much. What which which one's that? Yeah, it's that little sort of that one. Oh, yeah. with the kind of the call me. Yeah. The double call me gesture. It's all right. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying it's not all right. I'm just saying so personally, shades, it irks shades me. Of Ronaldinho, right. a little bit. Yeah. I wonder if you're particularly attuned to goal-scoring celebrations as somebody who's had to witness them at your moment of greatest <laughs> professional disappointment, seeing other people celebrating your own misfortune. Do you know what the, the worst thing is? Is um, the celebration music. So, like, it's, oh. it's Celtic Park and Ibrox. Uh, they have the, if it was Henrik Larsson, which it quite often was, they have the Magnificent Seven play in the background. That was quite... Uh, yeah, and Ibrox had this dance music. I, I, can't, I can't remember the tune. Yeah, but that's... 
cause sleepless nights when I close my eyes. Has mm. anyone ever goaded you after scoring, like deliberately sort of got in your face? Um, not really. I don't Is that so. particular song from Irox like a trigger for you? <laughs> if we were just to play it now, <laughs> which dance number? Only a, tr- a trigger for hatred. That's what it is. All right. Okay, that was good. Joseph Bradfield says, speaking as a big fan of teeny clubs making it into Europe, I can't wait to hear the pod give an extensive preview to this year's Russian Cup final. Do you know who's in it? Tonzo and Avangard. Avangard sounds like a French team. Something from Norse mythology Mm, or something. That is, isn't it? Hope whoever wins gets drawn against Burnley. Joseph, I presume you were being facetious when you said pods extensive preview. We're not familiar with either. I think even Sasha Gurionov, judging from his Twitter feed, was bewildered at the, these two teams reaching the final. They're, they're both kind of from very much the nether regions of, of, um, of some, Russian football. Some great names in Russian football, though. I, I, I love Krylia Sovatov. I don't know why. Yeah. I might do too, actually. That's another one. Makashkar. Tom Tomsk. Tom Tomsk. Yeah. Is that an actual name? Have I invented yeah, that? Yeah, I think that's No, right, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. That's, it's a Russian sat-nav system, isn't it? Ha! Hey. The, uh, I thought that deserved a much be- bigger laugh, and I'm disappointed in you, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well. Okay, so uh, the Eredivisie, they have great team names. And uh, speaking of minnows reaching, basically getting a, a chance at Cup glory, how about the French Cup? Tom, once again, it's almost like the big clubs don't care about the French Cup, but the Les Herbières beat their fellow third division side, Chambly, to reach the French Cup final for the first time. Who are they going to be playing? Paris Saint Germain. Ow. Of course. But it would be one of the great David and Goliath uh, cup finals in prospect. Um, little Les, Les Herbiers from the uh, the National, which is the amateur uh, third division of French football. They're the fifth amateur team to reach the Coupe de France final. Um, in how long? In history like, of the competition. Like so, the fir- so it is something that happens more in France than anywhere. Yeah, the I mean, the, 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 Coupe the Coupe de France is weighted in favour of the smaller teams oh. because they play at home when they're drawn against the team in a higher league. So you do get you do get upsets. I mean, the last few years, Calais, famously, they reached the final in 2000. You had Amiens the season after that, and then another amateur team, Kevy, got to the final in 2012. Um, Super Calais, go ballistic. Would have been the headline had, yeah. they, not, had they not lost. Uh, and PSG, meanwhile, are looking for a third domestic treble in four years and a fourth successive Coupe de France. They haven't lost a domestic cup match, PSG, since January 2014. Damn. I think we're all Les Herbiers fans at this point, aren't oh, we? Oh, yeah. What does Les Herbiers mean? The lawnmowers or something? So Herbier means herbarium. What? And a herbarium is a collection of preserved plant specimens used for scientific study. I see. Hmm. So I'm guessing if you are an herbier, you are someone who collects pressed plants and flowers and that mm. for scientific I... studies. Not, not, not one of the great football club names. Right. Have to say. The, uh, there's a, there'll be a backstory to all that, though not necessarily a fascinating one. Hmm. I'll mm. dig it out for next time. Do. I wonder what their pressing game is like. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Oh, so that'll be happening uh, on May the 8th, a Wednesday evening. I do hope that's on, that'll probably be on BT Sports, kind of random stuff they show. Mm. In France, by the way, of course, PSG are the champions. Second place is the big question, Tom. Since you're here, you've got four points between Monaco, Lyon 
and Marseille. Monaco, of course, were handed a... Was it 7-1, the drubbing? 7-1. 7-1 drubbing last Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked as if Monaco had second place sewn up in that they'd been on a decent run of form. But then this absolute shellacking that PSG gave them has has cut their lead to four points. Lyon are suddenly, suddenly on a great run of form. Um, they're looking for a sixth straight win. They're away at Dijon. Friday night, Nabil Fekir back fit. Memphis Depay banging the goals in. They're looking good. Marseille are, I think they're level on points with Lyon. Mm. Um, and they snatched the victory at Trois last weekend, a late winner by Florian Tovin, coming off the back of that fantastic win over well, Leipzig am- in the Europa League we quarterfinals. On, on mm. that before. The brilliant game. And Dimitri Payet's performance in that was uh, astonishing. Do, do Marseille now, the Frank McCourt, take over and Remy Garcia coming in are they now actually looking like a really promising sign and how do you rate their chances in the Europa League uh, well of winning the whole thing I mean they've they've become they've become quite an obdurate side um, under Rudy Garcia and their approach in terms of transfer strategy has been very different to what you see in most big European clubs is they've bought a lot of very seasoned players uh, guys like Luis Gustavo they've bought Steve Mondonda um and they do look like you know look like a very solid team. Obviously, that the draw has been kind to them in Europa League, and that they've avoided um, Arsenal and Atletico, so they've got a decent chance of making the final. Not sure I could see them beating either of those teams if they were to get to the final. But there is there is a sort of a steely core to Marseille, and then you've got players like Payet, Florian Tova, uh, who we all remember from his his you know pretty miserable experience at Newcastle, having the season of his career. Um, I think he's he's got the best figures in league and for sort of goals and assists combined behind Neymar and and someone else at PSG. So, yeah, that you know they're, they're looking they're looking decent Marseille and they've you know that they've they've turned a corner with this um this new recruitment drive. Um, and it's 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 going to go right down to the line. I think them and them and Leon and, and Marseille trying to get those those two Champions League places. Liverpool are attempting to become the first Premier League side to beat Darren Moore's West Brom this Saturday. David, the brow. He's done very well, hasn't he? Hasn't he? Yeah. Were you anticipating this? Um, I, I knew we'd get a reaction for them. He's, he's well-liked, well-respected, he's an authoritative figure. But I think it was a little bit disrespectful that, um, I can't remember who was left to in commentary, but it, they were saying that he's the, the great motivator uh, Darren Moore and I mm. think it was a little bit disrespectful thinking that well he hadn't got it right tactically which he obviously has in the last two games so it's uh, he probably deserves more credit than that Beating United last time out they have quite a good record against Liverpool actually they, they knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup drew 0-0 with them in the league and Liverpool have only won once at the Hawthorns in the last five years still they do have Mohamed Salah they do indeed but will their minds be on that game against Roma on Tuesday night oh that's a good shout Game against Roma, I bet. That, I bet it will. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Okay, uh, Man City, who don't have anything else to think about really now, except for making silly videos. They are hosting Swansea. I bet Swansea are, are thankful that West Brom handed City the title last weekend. Yeah, there's an element of that, but as I said before, I think City probably will be gunning for these records. You know, hitting the hundred point barrier. You know, getting to what more than a hundred goals and all this sort of thing. So, I think if I were Pep, that would be where I would um, giving a certain sense of purpose to the to the remainder of the season. Mm. Um, it's just you know the, the thing is that a lot of these teams that are fighting uh, relegation will be facing City in the next uh, in the next few weeks. So, 
can hear the enthusiasm ebbing out of your voice. Yeah. There's a sense Be merciful. Of towards its Be conclusion. Merciful. <laughs> so let me just back <laughs> on up with one other game, Watford against Palace, featuring your favourite player in the world, <laughs> Charlison. Possibly, yeah. yeah. In fact, two of the players that I had in that team, yeah. Zaha and uh, Richarlison, um, yeah, th- this kind of fixture really sums up Watford's season in that... Uh, in the reverse fixture, what they were leading from the fourth minute till the 89th minute and still contrived to lose. So, uh, you know, had they not done as they did in what another four games, they would be a lot higher up in the table than they are now. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how to judge what Javi Gracia has done there because he's what he's only had what three wins in what maybe 11 games there hasn't really. Uh, been able to energise a team which, until Marco Silva was flirting with anyone and everyone, um, looked like they were potentially going to be challenging where, uh, where Burnley are for a Europa League spot. Yeah, the tart. OK. <laughs> All right, James, thanks for rounding up the Premier League weekend. Let's move on to Germany. Monday night, Mainz taking on Freiburg in a relegation scrap when this happened. Welcome back. Extraordinary scenes. Mainz against Wolfsburg, the referee blew for half-time, sent the players away into the dressing room and then was told to go to his VAR to check the last cross of the half by Brozinski, which deflected off Kemp's hand, the goalkeeper saved. He then said penalty, De Blasis came out, put the ball down on the spot. Freiburg have only just come out. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, absolutely crackers. I mean, just, you just look at the footage. It's just such an absurd thing. You know, you've got, you've got guys halfway down the tunnel, guys back in the changing room, you know, settling down into their half-time, being suddenly summoned back out onto the pitch so that they can take this one penalty. And I think just to compound the, the confusion and, and the, you know, the, the totally surreal feel of it all was the fact that it wasn't even a complete cast-iron penalty. I mean, it was given for handball. The guy's got his hand out. The sort of thing that you generally see given as a penalty, but it wouldn't have been the greatest injustice in the world if it hadn't been given as a penalty. Um, so they all troop back. They troop back on. The penalty goes in, and it's um, you know, and I, you know, from what I gather, the the arrival of VAR in in the Bundesliga has has been pretty controversial all season long, and it's you know, it's it's an example of just the sort of kind of ill thought out implementation of something that will inevitably help the sport, and that's what. That's what's putting people off. And that's the big fear for the World Cup is that we're going to have stuff like this constantly. Um, and they, I think there is a, a risk that this World Cup ends up being remembered as the World Cup that, you know, was sort of, if not destroyed by VAR, then certainly tarnished by VAR. Varnished. Varnished. That's, that's <laughs> what I was grasping for. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the fear, isn't it, Tom? But in the short term, it's left Freiburg in a world of pain, very much in the frying pan, if, if you were out of the frying pan, in the fire, probably. They're in the relegation playoff spot and 16th in the Bundesliga. Yikes. Do you know what, though? I actually think it's a brilliant idea what they did. If you think about it, one of the big knocks against VAR is the fact that it takes up loads of time and interrupts the game for the controversial, <laughs> reviewing controversial thing. You've got 15 minutes at the end of the first half when nobody's doing anything. And quite frankly, a lot of the supporters are sitting there with nothing to look at. Why not use that 15 minutes to review and redress anything that's happened in the first half? I'm serious about this. And, what, and, and you, you have, have like about sim- five or six different free kicks and penalties <laughs> yeah, to take so you when everyone reemerges. But now we've seen this and this, so we'll sort of... And then you've got... An, it really is going to ramp up the tension for the second half. And you do a similar, maybe five-minute spell at the end of the game. It's an idea. I think so. <laughs> does, the does nobody else genuinely like the drama, though? Of what? Of that well, half-time? Yeah. 
I mean, it's Resident Conti. It, it was supposed to be brought in to stop all the drama, to stop all the the uh, squabble about decisions. And it, it's it's dramatic when Tom tells the story like that, but to sit through it, oh. well, I don't know. I mean, it's not like it's any advantage to the team who's got to, who's got to take the penalty because they've got to come back out as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressure on them as well. I mean, you look at the way that, that technology like this has been incorporated in in rugby, in cricket, in tennis, and there it is part of the drama because. Everyone in the stadium, everyone watching at home knows what's happening. Like you get at the cricket when, you know, the bat, batsman might have edged one and everyone's waiting for the decision. You get the ooze of the crowd, etc. And I'm sure we'll get to that point with football. The problem at the moment is that when you get one of these VAR decisions, the referee just stands there with his finger in his ear and no one knows what's going on. Yeah, but the the, the yeah, advantage those sports have had is that they've, they've been, been able to have these teething problems. And they've been able to get through them without anybody noticing because nobody cares about those sports. Yeah. Well, people care. Apart from cricket, crickets. I like cricket. Cricket's nice. But it is. That's it's it. true though. When they, when they've trialled all these uh, these systems, it's been without fuss. They've been well. There've been there've been controversies and there's been resistance as you'd expect. But it yeah, just but doesn't. It just doesn't football, get as much attention. Football, because football, because it's, yeah, of course. Football, yeah. yeah. By the way, that talk of the players having to come back out onto the field when they thought the first half was over reminds me of one of the classic stories of the genre, which is a, a tale from Romania told to us by, of course, Jonathan Wilson. It involved Ceausescu's pet team, who I think were called uh, Scornicesti, and they had to win by a certain goal difference to be champions that year. So they basically matched the scoreline of their nearest rivals and, and went off the field happy, celebrating. But the problem was there was no direct communications between where the other team was playing and where and their home stadium. There were no phone lines or anything. So the word was apparently being passed from one to the other by a series of policemen posted at one-kilometre <laughs> intervals on the road. And anyway, this slightly sluggish means of getting the message across meant that after they'd gone off the field... Word reached the stadium that Chonicesti hadn't scored. There'd been a late goal of the other one. So Chonicesti were called back out by the referee to score a couple of extra ones to make sure. Brilliant stuff. Anyway, uh, oh, speaking of Germany, the Pokal final lineup has been decided this week, and it is by Munich against Eintracht Frankfurt, which means, James? It's the Nico Kovac derby, is yeah. it? Yeah. His last match as Eintracht Frankfurt manager will be against the side that he takes over in the summer. Mm hmm. That's dramatic, isn't it? We're going to take another quick pause and then we're back with all the Indian football jargon you can handle and also very exciting stuff from Italy. Listeners, you know there's more to football than being called back from the dressing room to take a penalty, getting promoted to the third tier for the first time or being handed the league title by your biggest rivals after they lost at home to the worst team in the division. Yes, football's fundamentally a simple game, but you can't truly understand football without understanding the modern world and you can't understand the modern world without understanding its most popular sport. Throughout the fantastic first series of the Game of Our Lives podcast, the football historian David Goldblatt has been tackling themes like human nature, globalisation and geopolitics through the prism of the beautiful game. Now here at the Totally Football Show, we're getting very excited indeed about this summer's World Cup. But when it all kicks off in Russia in June, the absence of just two countries will mean that over a third of the global population won't be represented. India and China aren't traditional football powers, but in recent years they've become huge and lucrative markets for the sport. And in India, where cricket is king, football is fast catching up. The models of fandom that are followed, uh, I think, are closer to the kind that you'd see in South American countries. They'll go anywhere for a bit of the pretty game. If you want to learn more about why football matters, make sure you listen to Game of Our Lives on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Game of Our Lives podcast with David Goldblatt. Subscribe now. Tom, 
this might be the perfect place for you to talk about Indian football terminology. Your book, Do You Speak Football, which is out on the, remind me? 3rd of May. 3rd of May. Interesting. Described by Jonathan Norcross as quirky and addictive, endlessly readable by Barney Rone, and Ein Super Book by Raphael Honigstein, contains, I think I'm right in saying, some particularly good Indian football idioms. It does. Would you like to hear some? Yes. Um, OK, we'll start off with one from Goa. This is an expression which describes a jumpy goalkeeper. It's Kulio Dorta, uh, which um, probably not pronouncing that correctly, translates as catching crabs. Mm-hmm. It's got the image of someone dipping their, dipping their fingers into a rock pool. Oh. Nervously trying to, trying to get their hands on a crustacean. I like that. Um, another one, um, the legendary Bengali filmmaker and writer Satajit Ray um, created a character known as Faluda, who was this sort of cerebral detective kind of Sherlock Holmes figure mm. and he was renowned for his ability to sort of think his way through extremely complex investigations when he managed to pull off a successful investigation he was said to have used his magogestro which was his brain weapon brain weapon and so if a, if a, a Bengali football coach makes a particularly effective substitution um changes the game and, and wins the match for his side. He's said to have used his mago gestro. He's used his brain weapon. Damn. What, what is a striped snakehead, a.k.a. a parallel mean? Uh, a striped snakehead is it's a small freshwater fish hmm. found in the backwaters of Kerala, notoriously difficult to catch, um, and in the local football parlance it's used as a metaphor for a slippery attacker. Oh, nice. How about Petu Kidakunavan? Yeah, this is uh, quite an amusing one. This is another term that comes from Kerala. Uh, its literal translation is lying down after labour. Right, um, after and delivery, after giving after, birth. After giving birth. Right. And uh, it's used to describe a goal hanger, basically. Huh? So someone who never leaves the penalty area is, is, is held to be as mobile as... Someone who is down someone who is specifically birth. someone who is bedridden after giving birth. That's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, any others? Um, I've got one more, um, a jalebi, which is a sweet spiral-shaped pretzel made from deep-fried flour batter that's dunked in syrup. Mm. I've not eaten one of these, but I have looked at the pictures and they look very tasty. A jalebi is a a player who holds onto the ball too much, constantly oh. tying himself in knots because the the food itself is a big a big sugary knot. Right. So if you're the kind of person who's constantly doing step overs and running down blind alleyways, then yeah. you are a jelly It's funny to talk about I- Indian football though, yeah. because in uh, in Denmark, Indiana football, mm. which is Indian football, means a game that's end to end where there's no teams got control over the game. It's just all over the place. Really, Indiana football. Yeah. Okay. Any any Danish terminology you want to throw at us too? Um, Peter. Yeah, who was a goalkeeper I play with? Danish, he was a, like a, he's like the Danish Gary Lineker. Uh, does all the, the Premier League games over there. He's um, he used to have one if a, a player had a bad touch, he would say that he would have fr- he had a frog in his boot. Nice, which kind of makes sense. How does that how does that sound in Danish? Ah, oh, don't ask me. Okay, uh, but that, that's extremely colourful. I think that's probably the most colourful set of, of, of uh, similes that, that we've had so far from you, Tom. Yes, yeah, I'm quite a big fan of the, the, the small India section in the book. Mm, nice. OK, well, let's, let's move on then for our final little item in today's Totally Football Show to uh, good old Italy. And with very good reason, listeners, because it's back on. Title race is back on. And what's more, they've gone and scored some goals again. You remember last weekend, 10 matches, only 11 goals, 5 nil nils. Midweek, a very different story, right, Mr Horncastle? 
Oh, yeah. And I think on average, Serie A is probably the goaliest league in uh, the Europe's top five leagues. Let's say it is. Yeah, so yeah, last week we'll give them that. Yeah. Okay. Game of the night, Wednesday, was Lazio, who were 2-0 down away at Fiorentina. Lazio recalling that three-way battle with Inter and Roma, only one point between them, for a top four spot. They were 2-0 down. Both their rivals taking three points. They came back and won it 4-3. Boom. Yeah, no, extraordinary because uh, they were in the lead three times in that game, Fiorentina. First time they've lost since um, the tragic death of Davide Astori. They've oh, been yeah. on this incredible run um, since then, still in the hunt for a Europa League race. But some character from uh, from uh, Simone Inzaghi's boys, because I think both Roma and Inter, who won in this match today, thought they were just about pulling away for the, for the Champions League places. And that's the great thing about Serie A. Everything is still to play for. Uh, the title, Champions League, Europa League, relegation places. Mm. It's where it's at, Jimbo. Right. Well, the, the, the big result, I guess, or the big pair of results, featured the relegation battle and the title race, which is back on. Napoli was six points behind Juventus coming into this round. We're taking on Udinese, a side who'd lost nine matches in a row. <laughs> Juventus, meanwhile, were taking on Crotone, who mm-hmm. are down in the bottom three, and were winning. Napoli were losing 2-1 at home. Now, Crotone equalised with another bicycle kick. It's the curse of the overhead kick, the papers are, are dubbing it. After Ronaldo's. After Ronaldo's. Yeah. So, all of a sudden, Juve are, are drawing 1-1, and this incredible roar goes up, apparently, in Naples around the San Paolo, and Napoli kind of roll up their sleeves Torino style and bang on and beat them was it 4-2? Yeah and uh, it's the ninth time this season that Napoli have come back to win a game I think they've recovered something like 28 points from losing positions which you know for people who question their character that's some resilience from this Napoli side that still believe and will be going to Turin on Sunday night for wow. what uh, Gazetta is calling La Madre di Tutte le Partite, uh, no the trans- mother of all games. Okay, do a translation. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so four points between them. If they win in Turin, Napoli obviously will be one point behind and Juve have a much tougher uh, set of fixtures between here and the end of the season. They have to go away to Roma, they have to go away to Inter. Mai Raman says... Do you believe Napoli can beat Juve and open the title race up on Sunday? Do Napoli themselves believe it? What do you think, James? Look, uh, Napoli are unbeaten on the road in how long, James? 18 months. Wow. They haven't lost a game in the league away from home in 18 months. That is a remarkable record. But they don't just have to not lose. They need to win. Well, yeah, but also, as you mentioned, they have a much more favourable run-in than Juventus do um, because uh, Juve have to go to San Siro to play an interside that look good at the moment. Beat Cagliari 4-0 on mm. Tuesday night. Uh, Roma looking good, even though maybe their uh, head's going to be in that Champions League semi-final. Um, but Napoli, I think the only game really that you look at and think that's a potential banana skin is against Fiorentina, and that's it. So they seem to have really got a second wind. Um, Sally was talking last night about how well they played in, uh, in the first 20 minutes last night and then the final 20 minutes. And also, yeah, they've already qualified for the Champions League with six games to spare. And they were, he was trying to take the pressure off his players by basically saying, there are Champions League bonuses in our contract. There are no title-winning bonuses. That's our objective, to get into the Champions League, which... You know, his mind games, I think, trying to uh, get his players... To... He's, he's using his mind weapon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's amazing. So, all right, Sunday night on mm. BT Sport, of course, yeah. is where you can see Juventus-Napoli. What game that's set to be? 
David, since we're here and talking about Serie A, did you see Gigi Donnarumma's save on Milik? The, 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 the save that effectively, I think a lot of people thought, had ended the title race. This was back on, when was it, Monday night? Sunday no, night. it was on Sunday. Sunday night. Yeah. Milan-Napoli. Yeah, it was a fantastic save. Uh, I, I know we spoke about it on Twitter, me and James, and, and um, to me, he didn't guess. It's kind of just as a ball comes across, you, you, you know, you, it's something you don't think about, something you go back to, or your experiences that you've you've had before. So to set this up, basically, lovely interplay between the, the, the Napoli forwards, and the ball comes to Milik, he's absolutely alone. He's, he's, I think he's even closer in than the penalty spot. Yeah, Dead centre. Nobody, seven yards out, yeah. nobody near him. He has to score. He I mean, has to score. Basically, he has to score. But because a ball comes across from the right onto his left foot, and you can see because his body's closed up and his foot foot's closed, it's only going to go one way. Right. If, if he tries, I don't know if he could take with his right foot actually, but if he tries to open his body out, then it gives uh, Donnarumma more of a problem. But because it's closed up, he can see that straight away, and he, he obviously dives to his left, and it's a phenomenal save. Absolutely brilliant save. He's that initial kind of promise we saw in him. He's he's, he's on that trajectory still, is he? Yeah, this season's it's been, obviously it's been troublesome because he's had all the background stuff, uh, you know, the problems he's had with the fans, and uh, obviously he's signed his new contract this year. Was it this year, this season in the summer? Well, was it last summer? Last summer, yeah. And there's still talk that's you know about his future, so that's going to please me. He's, he's a young kid still, you mm. know, so it's it'll be difficult for him to to concentrate, but. When I look at goalkeepers and I look at him, you know, there's a lot technically wrong with him, and it's not technically perfect. But it's not about being technically perfect; it's about being effective and the size of him. And the, the, the sheer reach helped him that save as well. Just um, gets him out of trouble a lot of times. Um, do you think? Do you think, David? By the way, that goalkeepers are peaking earlier these days. When you look at some of the players, when you would expect a, a goalkeeper to be in their prime, it seems like nowadays it's it's almost the younger years that are. Are the ones where they excel the, the most. I think a big part of us now is the type of goalkeepers that we're developing. Uh, the, the goalkeeper until now, goalkeepers have still sort of had that, uh, you know, the, the kind of mentality of goalkeeper first and player second. Where now we're seeing true sort of hybrid goalkeepers. I think that's got a big part of playing it. But also, I think there's a there's a, a, a sort of psychological factor to it as well. Where you know you see a lot of goalkeepers now and, and goalkeepers who come towards in the career that they're they're scarred and they haven't uh, you know they've made mistakes and they've had dips and not really recovered fully from them. You see young goalkeepers now, the way they're being uh, developed, um, there's a different mentality about them. You look at somebody like um, Jordan Pickford and Jack Putland, they've got this ultra confidence about them. It's what we've lacked, especially British goalkeepers. You know, you, you look at um, it's the way we've we've developed goalkeepers where we've we've really hounded uh, our goalkeepers when being coaching about making mistakes. We've really sort of emphasised them. Where I think it's it's a totally different way of looking at it if you just move on for those mistakes right. and don't dwell on them as much. And you see now when I see these uh, young kids training, you know, they don't beat themselves up. All goalkeepers, they be you know be showing everyone how much they care and beating the floor and uh, looking really disappointed when that's not the way you've got to see a focus and see on a, on a level sort of on a level emotionally alright well that, that's positive let's finish off with a quick word on Syria jerseys because last weekend uh, Udinese left many viewers perplexed when they sent 11 players out in 11 different jerseys 
that James was for 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 charity. Yeah, they did. It was a great initiative. Basically, um, fans uh, donated uh, their own jerseys, um, and they then like replicas from previous years. Yeah, and they asked them to ask fans to pledge money for a cause that was close to their heart. Um, so it might be that they are raising money for some kind of local initiative that they wanted to put on, or for a charity. Um, unfortunately, Udinese lost their ninth straight game. <laughs> so, um, did the, they get their jerseys back afterwards? I think they did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. I hope they were cleaned. Well, you'd hope so. Yeah. All right. So that was last weekend, and top work Udinese. It did mm. look interesting, didn't it? Seeing the eleven yeah. iterations, or certainly ten well, iterations. Surely of the... a good motivating tactic as well, because yeah. you know, if you're a player wearing one of those shirts, you want them. To, you want to perform well enough to just to get people to pledge their money right um but okay yeah well we saw another interesting initiative not for charity this mm-hmm. time uh, from inter midweek when instead of players names on the back of their jerseys they put their instagram handles mm. how did I- that go down instagram instagram like. very nice <laughs> how, how what was the reaction to that well, we're talking about it, aren't we? we? Are. Which is exactly what they probably want. Jim yeah, I'm going to go and get on Instagram and, yeah. and look, look at Icardi. Icardi, and yeah. Icardi's Instagram is quite good, particularly when he's in the Maldives sunbathing with nothing but a, uh, a, a bowler but a, hat covering his private parts. That's nice. Good, yeah. Are there any genuinely interesting footballer Instagram accounts that are really left Balotelli field? is Balotelli. good. I mean, Balotelli's yeah. is good. Yeah. Oh, but that's aren't just... brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah, that's great. There you go. <laughs> and probably David Priest's. No, not really, to be honest with you. Okay. All right, then. Well, good Lord, I think we've probably come to the end of our football chat. So, how about we drop in on our chums, producer Ben and Paddy Power, as they discuss the latest odds on all that football. Thank you, Jimbo. I'm with Lee Price again. And, Lee, let's talk about the FA Cup. Uh, Man U v Spurs is probably the bigger of the two games, but Man U... They had that terrible weekend uh, against West Brom. Lots of media stories about Paul Pogba. Uh, what odds can I get on him not starting? Whew, yeah, I just can't see it. I know Mourinho's been on his case this season, but actually Jose appeared to defend Pogba very slightly after the West Brom fiasco. So for the biggest game of the season, can he really drop the club's record signing? Well, actually, yes. It's exactly the kind of thing Mourinho would do. So we offer 5-1, to one, which... It's starting to sound like brilliant value to me. And what about the result itself in the game? And uh, please tell us about the money back special, Lee. Yeah, we think this is going to be a really tight one, which, you know, isn't original to say looking at the draw. Tottenham, we favour at 11 to 10. United are 23 to 10, the same result as a draw after 90 minutes. If you do think Tottenham are going to win, we've got a money back special as a free bet if Tottenham do win within the 90 minutes. That applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers, correct score, and what odds Paddy Markets. Max refund £10. Okay, in the other semi final, it is Chelsea against Southampton. And I'm thinking that uh, the Saints have got Revenge on their mind. Uh, Can they get a 3 2 here and uh, do uh, the reverse of last weekend's fixture? (laughs) Personally speaking, no, but we'll offer odds on this anyway. Um, Southampton did win 3 2 fairly recently when beating West Brom in February. And if there's one team that's more demotivated than the baggies right now, it's the one managed by Antonio Conte. We go a massive 60 to 1, though, that Saints win 3 2. I'm not buying it. Back to the Premier League then. West Brom, they're taking on Liverpool. They've, uh, they're unbeaten since Darren Moore has taken charge. Uh, they got a bit of previous with Liverpool, beating them in the FA Cup, of course. Uh, so what about a double here of uh, beating Liverpool and Daniel Sturridge? Remember him getting on the score sheet. 
Yeah, I think Sturridge getting on the pitch would be enough for a challenge, let alone scoring. We go four to one that Sturridge scores at any time during the match, if he starts, of course, and nine to two that West Brom win. So that amounts to a 48 to one double. And last for this round of Movers and Shakers, Lee, uh, City, they're taking on Swansea at the Etihad. They've already won the league. Um, they'll probably win against uh, the Swans here, but maybe Carvajal's people will take the lead. Yeah, it's not as ridiculous as it might sound. Swansea obviously need the result and City obviously don't. Uh, Swansea are quite a chunky 4-1 to one to score first, but City are 13-2 to, to come from behind and win, inspired perhaps by the recent Manchester derby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. And that brings us to the end of Totally Football Show. Tom, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. David Priest, lovely to see you. And you also. And you, James Horncastle. The pleasure was all mine. Listeners, we will return on Monday. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the football. Have a great weekend. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Not nearly enough football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try? You'll find us on Audioboom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.